Good morning and welcome to week three of our four-part series entitled Star of the Monster. And uh, if this is your first time with us, you're kind of coming in on the end uh, of our sermon teaching. And again, you can follow along with us. You can download the podcast and all that jazz. But really, one of the things we've been talking about, the thing that we've been talking about, is that all of us, we have inside of us living this little monster who's always craving more. And it's the monster of entitlement. It's the monster of entitlement. And the reason why we chose to be able to teach on entitlement during the month of November is because what's coming down the road? Exactly right. Christmas is coming down the road. And again, all of us, we always want more. We always want more gifts and all of this stuff. And with Thanksgiving also around the road, we were just we, many of us, we have more, but we were satisfied less. So um, uh, today we're going to be talking about it when it comes to parents. Now, quit poll. How many of y'all in here are parents? Let me see your hands. All right. How many of y'all hope to have kids one day? Let me see your hands. All right. All right. Better be a while. Anyway, um, uh, so uh, those many of us have kids. Many of us want to have kids maybe in the future. Here's the thing I've realized is that parenting is difficult. Uh, parenting is difficult. In fact, most of us, when I think of parenting, I think that most of us, we l- look more like Rhonda than we do like Holly Holm. Anybody see that last night? Just give you a heads up on that one. We feel uh, like w- what just happened, right? What just that we, we, we got that, kn- that knockout kick, and it's just like what just happened when it comes to parenting? We just, we're so overwhelmed. And again, I get that. Uh, I, I am a, I'm a, I'm a husband. I'm a dad. In fact, here's my family. Um, uh, my wife and I, we've been married almost 22 years. We're going to celebrate 22 years December 11th, uh, so in a couple of weeks. Um, I have three boys, my wife and I. By the way, uh, our oldest one, Walt, he's 17. He'll actually turn 17 in like a week, uh, November the 25th. And he's, I mean, 17. You know what that means? That my wife is old what that means, all right? <clears throat> anyway, um, but Walt, 17, he was born in Auburn, Alabama, and then uh, our middle son, Jed, uh, he uh, was born in Iowa, and he is 11 years old, and then our son, Bing, like Bing Crosby, uh, he was born just a couple of weeks before uh, we started One Church. So um, we've got three boys, and I am not the perfect parent. I am not definitely not the perfect spouse, Uh, I am just trying to work through this just like you are, trying to figure out how I can become a better parent. And uh, a crazy thing about my wife and I, we we met when we were 15 on a Christian tour group, and she was living in Murfreesboro, I was living here in Clarksville, but we met in Colorado. And uh, I toured with this Christian tour group for four years, and she sang, Uh, I actually played trumpet, and I got to see 48 out of the 50 states. Um, It was amazing, I really, really did enjoy it. Um, uh, then, uh, uh, graduated high school, my freshman, it was freshman week, my first year of college, and I was going down Drain Street here at Austin P. slammed on the brakes because I saw somebody I knew, Kim Williams was there, and we became best friends. She liked me my first year, and I didn't like Kim, because I'm an idiot. And then, uh, the next year, uh, I liked Kim, and she didn't like me, because it's payback. And then uh, our third year, we started dating, and we got engaged our, our fourth year in college. I went, after graduation, I went to seminary in Dallas Seminary and was gone for six months, came back. We got married, 
and we moved uh, to Dallas uh, in Texas. And I love seminary. One of the things that Kim and I both struggle with while we were in Dallas is Dallas is just a very materialistic city. I don't know if anybody, any of y'all been to Dallas? All right, some of y'all. Uh, very, very materialistic. Everything is bigger in Dallas. Everything is bigger in Texas. And, um, amen, all right. Uh, and um, I, I remember going to North Park Mall and seeing Highland Park and the Galleria and realizing that I'm never going to make enough money to buy anything in any of those places. I remember going uh, to Neiman Marcus, otherwise known as Needless Markup. And, um, and I remember my wife, she, uh, she went to the, like the 80% off rack. And she picked up a scarf and, you know, something that I think would cost like five bucks. And after, even after the 80%, it was like $150. And I'm like, yeah, put that back. We're the, I mean, this never, ever, 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 never, right? Just nuts. Um, and I, it was very materialistic, very entitled, this entitlement mentality. And we were so disgusted with that when we were living in Dallas. I love the seminary, but just the, the city itself was just like, eh, you know? And now that I'm a parent, and, I, and you know, I, I see this entitlement stuff creeping up in me sometimes. I definitely see it in my kids. And, and hear me, our kids learned it from somewhere. And the reason why we've been talking about it for the first two weeks, just adults, is because our kids have learned it from us. And what is entitlement anyway? Here's the definition we've been looking at. Entitlement is thinking that you have the right to something that's actually a privilege. That's what entitlement is. So, uh, and I, again, we see that with our kids. We see it with our preschoolers, with our, our elementary school age kids. We see it with our teenagers. It, it even goes into our adult years. And some of those entitled people I've ever met are the 20s and 30-somethings still living at home. And what we're going to be diving into today is what do you do as a parent when you see this in your kids? Now, here's the thing. I'm a parent. Many of us are parents in here. And because we are a very affluent society, because you live in America and if you have a car, that pretty much puts you in the 95th percentile of rich in the entire world. I know some of you don't think that you're rich, but you really are. Because if you have a job, if you have income, and if you have a vehicle, most of the 7.1 billion people on the planet don't have that. So because you and I, we have so much at our disposal, here's what we want to do. That we want every parent, almost every parent, wants to give their child every advantage in life. And again, I've used that language before. That I want to give my three sons, I want to give them every advantage. And if you haven't said that out loud, you've probably thought it. And, and as it depends upon you with the resources that I have available to me, I want to give my kids every advantage, every advantage. But here's the question the one question I really want to land on today. What if giving your child every advantage actually is a disadvantage? Is there a level in which we are trying to provide for our kids where we give them everything? Is there a level where that actually becomes a disadvantage? Does that produce an entitlement mindset in a child and where they act like they have the right to everything, they have the right to the birthday gift, they have the right to the $2,000 Christmas present, they have the right to the new gaming system, that an 8-year-old has a right to a new phone, and they have the right to these classes or to these lessons, they have a right to this and they have a right to that. Is there a sense, because you and I, we want to give our kids every advantage, that you and I, we want to help them, but is it a sense where we're actually hurting them? Is it a sense where 
giving them every advantage becomes a disadvantage. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and take the gray area out of it. I think it is. I think we actually hurt our kids when we give them everything. In fact, here's a statement that really goes exactly where we're going today. When you give your kids something that they should have worked for, it replaces incentive with entitlement. When you give your kids something that they should have worked for, it gives, it replaces incentive with entitlement. You know, there's something really good about work. And again, I think one of the things that that's what the scripture talks about. We talked about this in our last teaching series, like a boss. That work was actually created by God. In fact, when we get up into heaven, there's actually going to be work. Did you know that? None of us are going to be these big fat cherubs with little angel wings going, right, with the heart. Just not going to do that. We're actually going to be doing things. that work adds value. And when you give your kids something they should have worked for, it replaces incentive with entitlement. Maybe you've asked this question. Maybe you've even, about your own kids, or maybe about somebody else's kids. Do they want life handed to them on a silver platter? Let me answer that question for you. Yes, they do. So what are you going to do? See, when you remove incentive... When you remove work from the equation, kids get the idea that they deserve something, that life actually revolves around them. And we, we talked about this again for the past two weeks because we're so, we struggle with this us, me and you. But here's the problem. Because we have so much at our fingertips, we can just give them everything and it really does hurt them in the end. All right? Here's our big idea and then we're going to dive into the book of Proverbs today. Here's a big idea, the one thing we're going to be talking about today. Kids who feel what? Entitled to everything will be grateful for nothing. Can we say that out loud? Kids who feel entitled to everything will be grateful for nothing. If you want to raise kids who are grateful for nothing, because, again, I feel like we've struggled with this. It's like, okay, why come they're not more grateful? And with Christmas coming around the corner, you know, we, we save and we save and we skip and we save and we try to figure it out. We try to figure out how we can get the cheapest and then we get it and they're like, eh. Now, what do you want to do with them? You want to sell them at that point, don't you? You do. It's like, whoa, right? What's going on? How come they're not more grateful for it? Well, it's very simple. Kids will feel entitled to everything will be grateful for nothing. Now, if you don't have kids... You can't say, well, I'm not going to listen to that preacher right now. You can say this. T -t Take the word kids out. People who feel entitled to everything will be grateful for nothing. So what are you grateful for? And maybe because the reason why we're not more thankful, we're not more grateful, we always got to go out and get the newest, brightest, shiniest, is because we feel entitled. All right? Now, my guess is this. None of us really want to raise kids who are entitled. In fact, you probably want to fight that with every ounce of your being. But what if you and I, we have created some inadvertent habits that we've just fallen into that's creating this sense of entitlement in our kids? So here's where we're going to be going. We're going to be looking at seven unhelpful parenting practices. Seven unhelpful parenting practices. And then we're just going to give five very practical, very granular things that you can do as a parent that can help your children and maybe even help us from this entitlement mindset. Because here's what's at stake. If you and I, if we raise kids with an environment that leaves them feeling entitled, they're going to end up being grateful for nothing. 
it kind of reminds me of this movie clip. Let me set it up. My, my wife and the kids, we're watching, uh, going through all the Harry Potter movies. And uh, right now we're on number four, which is probably my favorite. But in number two, um, you really see this contrast between Harry Potter, who's always trying to serve other people. He's kind of a big deal, but he doesn't really know he's a big deal. And his, his, the person he lives with, Dudley, who kind of thinks he's a big deal, but really isn't a big deal. You know what I'm talking about? Watch this clip. <laughs> Why don't you just cook the breakfast and try not to burn anything? Yes, Aunt Petunia. I want everything to be perfect for my Dudley's special day. Hurry up. Bring my coffee, boy. Yes, Uncle Vernon. Aren't they wonderful, darling? How many are there? Thirty-six. Counted them myself. Thirty-six, but last year, last year I had thirty-seven. Yes, well, well, some of them are quite a bit bigger than last year. I don't care how big they are. No, 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 no. This is what we're going to do. Is that when we go out, we're going to buy you two new presents. How's that, pumpkin? (laughs) How's that, pumpkin? Okay, here's the thing. How many of y'all ever been in Walmart and you've seen kids like this? All right, anyone? What do you want to do? Don't say it out loud. But maybe, you know, it's, it's really it's kind of funny to make fun of other people's parenting and kids. But what if you're the person who's at Walmart? And I wonder if people are thinking that about you and your children. Mm, that's a little too convicting. Let's move on. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The scripture we're going to be looking at today is over 3,000 years old. And it was written by the wisest person who ever lived. His name is Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived. And it really does give us an insight into this whole entitlement mentality. But here's the thing. It was written 3,000 years ago, but here's what I've realized. People 3,000 years ago struggled with entitlement. You see, not much has changed over the past 3,000 years. There's this different circumstances. You know, there's Instagram and social media, and there's all this stuff that can get us into trouble. But really, at the end of the day, people are people. And if, you, if people felt entitled 3,000 years ago, they feel entitled today. And this is what Solomon, what he wrote in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25. He says this, There is a path before each person that seems right but it ends in death. Now, I think that's true just for life. You know, as a pastor, people, I've realized, are really well-intentioned. They have good intentions. You're like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my child every advantage, but it turns out to be a disadvantage. It seemed right, but it ends in death. Or if not in death, it ends in disaster. It still ends with consequences that you and I don't want. Some of you, you this is kind of your life verse and not a good way. Right? Because you're on your second relationship, third relationship, maybe second marriage, third marriage, and you married her, you married him because he looked good in those jeans, and man, she looked great, and you really didn't bring God's value system into the equation, and you kind of did what seemed right to you, but it didn't end well. Or for others, you're like, you know what, I'm tired of being single, I'm tired of being lonely, I'm just going to sleep with her once, I'm going to sleep with him once. What could happen? Nothing bad's going to happen. And you realize that everything went bad. It went downhill from there. Because it seemed right, 
but it ended in disaster. Did you know this, that most people don't get into trouble because they're trying to get into trouble? That may happen with teenagers, maybe, but I even think with most teenagers. You know, they don't, they're not trying to get into trouble. Most people get into trouble because it just seems right. But it always, many times, ends in death. The Scripture has a phenomenal ability just to point these issues out with you and with me and with our kids, and it's going to seem good to give your child every advantage. But you know what? Watch out. It's going to be a huge disadvantage. You're going to create an entitlement mentality where they're going to end up being grateful for nothing because kids, kids who have that entitlement mindset will end up being grateful for nothing. This is how the wisest person who ever lived, Solomon, how he phrased it. He gives this, in this next verse, notice that was, that was 25, this is verse 26. It is what? It is good for workers to have an amp- appetite. Now again, this verse precisely just isn't talking just about kids. You know, I'm not advocating child labor or anything like that, but here's what I am advocating, that in your home and in my home, that it, I think it's good for your kids at home to do some work. I don't think they should have life handed to them on a silver platter. So you can almost substitute kids, you can almost substitute teenager, you can definitely substitute young adults, but all of us work, and whether we, you work for pay or whether you just work around the house, it is good for workers to have an appetite. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, we talked about appetites a lot the first week of Star of the Monster. This verse simply says, it is good for you and for me, the adult, to want something. Why? It is good for workers to have an appetite. Why? Here's the reason why. An empty stomach drives them on. And you probably have heard that or maybe realized that, that your grades weren't all that good when you were in school. And and you knew that if you wanted that job, if you wanted to get into that career path, if you wanted to get into that next prestigious school, you were going to have to get your grades up. So what did you do? You rolled up your shirt sleeves. You started studying. You really dug in. And your, your grades, they raised. And it was okay. That was that emptiness, that appetite that drove you. For some of you, you've been trying to find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, and you realize that I've got some issues. I've got some stuff that I need to drill down on. And, and, and I've got some stuff I've got to work on in my life. And that appetite drove you on. Or for others, uh, it, may, it may be driving your business. And that could be a good thing or a bad thing, but you're like, I, I want to get better. It's that appetite that drove you on. Now, the problem is that when you give your child everything, they don't have an appetite anymore. They've got nothing to drive them on, and kids who feel entitled to everything end up being grateful for what? Nothing. Some of you are like, well, that's an interesting theory, Chris. But how does this actually work in my family? How does this work in my house? Let me just give you some... some signs that maybe your kids are struggling with entitlement. Number one, they're not very thankful. Not very thankful. They're just not grateful. In fact, you know, you don't even get lists for birthdays and Christmases. You get links to Amazon, right? You get links to eBay. You get links to whatever. And you're like, I want this model. I want this, this, I want this design. I want this color. And the bar keeps on getting higher and higher and higher. When they get it, it's like, eh. As parents, many of us, I think we struggle with this. Not just our kids. It's the reason why we're doing the whole thanks, not things challenge. Because all of us, we struggle with entitlement. And we're not that thankful as a culture. It's the reason why we've turned thanksgiving into things getting. And I'm encouraging you to stay home. To not go shopping on, on Thursday. 
midnight on Friday night, go freak out, right? No, I'm not going to be out there, but y'all go have a good time, okay? But Thursday, stay at home, and if you don't have a home to stay at, come to my house, come to some of these other folks that hopefully is going to sign up. All right, number two, uh, they expect to be paid to help out. So you want me to make my bed? Then pay me. What do you want to say? I'll pay you. I'll pay you. Right? You, know, you, you want to say that, right? Well, if you want me to cut the grass, then pay me. If, if you want me to empty the dishwasher, show me the money. Right? How much is it worth to you? <laughs> I'll tell you how much is it worth to me. Uh, I can sell you. Um, number three. Difficulty distinguishing between wants and needs. Wants and needs. And again, I have this challenge, you have this challenge, that we confuse what is a want with what's a need. And we say, no, I need this, when we really don't need it. All right, let me define what a need is, all right? A need. A need is something that you actually need to have in order to live, all right? And there are very few, all right? As a parent, do you know what I'm obligated to provide for my children? We're obligated to provide food, shelter, Education and clothing. That's it. Food, shelter, education, and clothing. That means I can slip a piece of pizza underneath the door. I can let them live out in the backyard with a tent during good weather. That's shelter. And you can have two items of clothing. Done. Right? Now, I'm joking. But for many of us as parents, many of us, we need to have these calibrating conversations where we just kind of recalibrate things with our kids because they're kind of getting out of sync. They're saying, well, my, my friend has this down the street and this, and I need this and I need this and my phone is just doing this and I, I need, 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 need. No, 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 no. You want that. But it's not a need. And again, w- w- that happens with us, with you and I. You know, we say we need the granite countertops. That we need the leather interior. That we need the bigger house. And again, is that a need? No. It's a want. And when we get honest, all of a sudden you realize that there's something inside of me, this monster, this greed, this entitlement, that none of us, none of us don't ever want to admit that. So I'll just disguise it as a need. Let's go to the next one. A sense that they're owed things, that our children are owed things. You owe me this. My friends have it, you know, and I need to get the next model, and you're my parent, and you should. No, time out. TV time out. No, not at all. Number five, a frail self-esteem coupled with a disproportionate confidence. Those are really big words, so let me define those. Let's start with the disproportionate confidence. A confidence that says, I'm really good at everything, when they're really not. Again, we've all seen this, right? How many of y'all have been to enough talent shows and we've seen that, right? Enough, we've seen school plays where somebody's on stage and they're singing, right? And everybody's going, oh, dear Jesus, make it stop, right? But the parents are going, that's my Sally. She's so amazing. She's amazingly awful. Uh, Again, this is American Idol at the very beginning of the season, right? It's like... What are you doing with your life, right? I mean, here's the thing. That, that's the, this, oh, this overconfidence. And, and underneath, there's this frail self-esteem because you know what? Deep down, uh, they know that they're not that great at it. Tim Elmore, a parenting expert, calls it this, that it's high arrogance coupled with low self-esteem. And that's what happens when you say, oh, honey, you're just amazing when they're really not. Don't give unhealthy praise. 
Again, the older I get and the more I lead, the more I realize I'm not good at everything. And you're not good at everything either. That I'm good at a couple things, and if you give me those, I'm going to kill it. But if you make me do anything else, I'm going to be killed. It's not going to be good, right? So, all right, number six. You're in denial about all of this. <laughs> I just put that one in there just for fun. Now, here's the thing. Child-centered parenting. We talked about this, my wife and I, we co-taught a series a few months ago called Frantic Family. And we talked about this idea of child-centered parenting. And again, we, we're living in this day and age where we say the child is the center of the home. That my baby, my darling, my little pump lumpkin that they are the center of my life. And again, I get that, but I'm telling you, I don't think that's right. Because I'll tell you, I'm a Christian, and I believe only one person should be the center of your life in your home, and that should be Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the center. And then after Jesus, that your spouse should be the center. Excuse me, the spouse should be number two. And then after that, then your kids. But many times, we've got all of this all out of whack. And we end up worshiping our kids. We end up worshiping our kids. Let me tell you, I think the best gift you can give your kids is a healthy marriage. I really do believe that. Psychologists have studied this. It's more important for your child to know that you love your spouse than it is for them to know that you love them. I know that's strange, but I'm telling you, it's the truth. Let me tell you, child-centered parenting produces self-centered children. It produces kids with an entitlement mindset where you owe me, I deserve this. And we end up worshiping our kids. And when we do that, they just get weird. In fact, the best way this kind of plays itself out in our culture and our society is with celebrities, right? When you look at a celebrity, it may be you know, your favorite singer or your favorite actor, and we just worship them. Oh, I just can't believe, she sings so amazing, and he's just so this, and you know, all right, all right. I mean, it, whoever it is, you're just, oh, they're just an amazing actor, right? Well, the problem is, when you, when you give somebody that much adulation and that much worship, you know what happens? They get weird. You ever wonder why celebrities are just so weird, i.e. Tom Cruise? Right? Just a little freaky. And you want to know why they're so weird? Because we, are, we have worshipped them, and people were never, ever made to be worshipped. The only person who was made to be worshipped is God, that we were created so that we could worship God. But when we worship our spouse, when we worship our kids, when we worship Leonardo DiCaprio, when we worship Taylor Swift, Right? It just, they just get just a little strange, right? And so many of us, we're raising strange kids because we're worshiping them, right? Now, let's get back. I want to show you these seven uh, uh, parenting traps that we got in, and this comes from the book by Ted Cunningham entitled Trophy Child. It's a fantastic book. These seven unhelpful parenting styles. And as we go through this, I see me in some of these, some of you are going to see you in some of these, so let's just put the mirror up to us, and let's get really painful, and let's adjust some stuff, and let's move on. All right, first one, the vanity parent. You as a parent use a child's performance to embellish your image. We've seen this, right? The child's success is as much about how you feel about yourself as it is about your child, and we see this on social media all the time, don't we? Look at my daughter. 
Look at my son. She graduated at the top of the class. Look at, look at what they got in. Look at this. Look at that. And them achieving. And it's okay to brag about your kids on social media, but do you ever get the fact that maybe it's not all about the kids and maybe some of this is about the parent? Right? This isn't really about the child. It's about them. All right, let's look at the next one. The perfection parent. A problem is more about your disappointment than your child's. In other words, your child comes back with a bad report card, they're disappointed, but you are crushed. Because you cannot accept the fact that you don't have a perfect child, that your baby isn't perfect. Let me just go ahead and pop that bubble. All right? Uh, if some of you, you have children in our environments, and we love our environments, go ask one of the workers, is my child a perfect child? And they will probably lie to you. But they're not. Your children aren't perfect because guess what? They come from you and you're not perfect, right? All right, all right, now, move on. The competitive parent. You need your child to be the best and you want others to know that they're the best. Anybody know any competitive parents like out on a playing field, soccer field, anything like that? I mean, parents lose their ever-loving minds, don't they? I mean, they get freaky, they get screaming, they get yelling, fights break out. What is going on? Well, you got a competitive parent. That studies have shown, and I'm not making this up, studies have shown that about 70% of people think that they're above average. Think, just let that sink in just for a sec. That's just not true. Your child will not be the best at everything. And that's okay. They can't be. That if you have 30 kids in a class, not all of them can be the best. And you know what? That's okay. Now, again, I think that they're going to be great at something. I think God has made us all a 10 at something. But, but it's, it, it's just gone crazy, these competitive... In fact, it's the reason why we give away awards for everything. Like, here's a trophy for just showing up. Well, what does it even mean anymore, right? It doesn't mean anything. Keep on going. The ROI parent, the return on investment parent. You push your kids to complete something even when your child has no interest, heart, or passion, or gifting at it. And this is what Ted Cunningham, it's his terminology. You push your kids to complete something even when your child doesn't have any interest in doing it. Again, the next one, the gifted parent. That you are convinced that your child is gifted and they're a great kid even when all the evidence, including the principal, the police, and the reform system says otherwise. Right? Oh, no, they're gifted. They're special. They're special, all right. All right? They're special, okay. Uh, they're special in a different way. You have the inability to really admit the truth that when something happens, you immediately call the principal, and you're reaching out, and my honey couldn't have done this. You know, they're just perfect. They're, they're perfectly awful, right? Number six, the companion parent. This is where you want to be a friend, not a parent. Now, this happens all the time when marriages are unhealthy or they're in trouble. Because you start to look for your kids to provide something that your spouse should be uh, providing that isn't providing. It happens when both parents are still together, and it can definitely happen when you're a single parent. And again, man, I'm in awe of single parents. They, they do everything. But many times, we can single parents or when parents are together, you, we make a mistake when we think, you know what, why don't you just be my buddy? No, they need you to be the parent. You know, I've never found a 15-year-old who wanted a 45-year-old best friend. Right? It's your job to be the parent, and that means you're not always going to be popular. You're not always going to be liked. It's okay. All right, seven, the rescue parent. 
You protect your child from the consequences of their irresponsibility. That you never want them to get hurt. You never want to see them cry. And when there's something wrong at school, again, you reach out to the principal and you kind of intervene. You're protecting your child from the consequences of their irresponsibility. Now again, let me just say this. When they're kids, let them feel the consequences of their actions when the stakes are low. Because when they're 25, the stakes are a whole lot higher, aren't they? They are. So we need to let them feel the consequences when the stakes are low. But if we swoop in and remove all consequences, then they're going to be 30-year-old in your basement wondering, how come everybody's against me on the job and I can't get a job and I can't keep a job? Again, it's because somebody's always rescued all right, now let's go back to the scripture because it's so practical here. He says this, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. In other words, no one becomes a rescue parent because they have bad intentions for their kids. No one becomes a competitive parent because you want to damage your children. You're trying to give your child every advantage, but you may be giving them a disadvantage. I understand that it seems right, but it ends how? In death. Look what it says. It is good for workers to have an appetite. An empty stomach drives them on. So what do you do? How do you create some incentive to drive them on? Five things and then we're done. Number one, determine what is a want and what is a need. Determine what is a want and what is a need. That means you may have to have some ca- recalibrating conversations where you say, you're out of sync on this. Okay? You have to sit them down and you have to have this conversation. My wife and I, um, we support two compassion children. And some of you, you picked up the package and you're starting to support compassion children as well. One of the ways that recalibrates this in our kids is we just got two um, magazines in the mail saying, okay, for Christmas, you can give your compassion child a gift. For $35, it will buy them a chicken. I can't even make this up. Right? Or, or, or $150, you can buy a cow for them that can feed an entire village you know, with the milk. And, and you're thinking, that's what you're going to give them? Well, yeah. You see, because the new iPhone 6S isn't a need. It's a want. What's a need is being able to have clean water. And one of the ways you can best work with this with your kids is even go on a mission trip with them. Luther and Patrick this past week were in the Dominican Republic where they were with Compassion International. And one of the things that you see with children who are in a third world country who have nothing is that they're grateful for everything. And then you come back and you wonder, how come your kids are grateful for nothing? Well, it's probably because they're entitled. Number two, reclaim special occasions. Reality is today, because a lot of us, we have uh, some excess cash or excess funds. we got more than anybody who's ever lived on the planet that we can make every day a special day. But here's the thing. If, if every day is a special day, then guess what? Nothing special. So reclaim special occasions. You want this gaming system? Wait for Christmas. You want this next thing? You know what? Wait for your birthday. Save up enough money to get it right? But don't just go and buy it. And if it's a big thing, okay, by the way, this is your Christmas and your birthday, right? Ain't nothing wrong with that. Some of you think I'm child abuse right now. I'm not, right? 
So just this helps curb the entitlement mindset. Reclaim special occasions. Number three, set a budget and let them choose. You know, when you go to back to school and you're having to buy all this stuff and the new backpacks and the new clothes and all this stuff, you say, okay, you got $100. Now, you can spend it all on the $100 backpack that everybody looks great in. Or you can get the $15 backpack from Walmart and you get $85 left to be able to get more clothes and things like that. And what you're doing, you're teaching them a life skill. You're showing them how life works. So set a budget and then let them choose. Number four, establish an allowance and expectations. Again, now there are different viewpoints to what an allowance does or what it doesn't do. And some of you just give an allowance and change if you do one, two, three, or four. I would encourage you, whatever you choose, to clarify it and be consistent in it. And if you give an allowance, if they do this and this, and if they don't do this and this, then what do you do? You don't give an allowance. And that leads me to the last one. Be clear about the things that you will never pay your kids for. It's like you're never going to get paid for emptying the dishwasher. You're never going to get paid for making your bed. You got some stuff in your house that you just got to do because you're part of the family unit. Right? And don't just feel like you got to make it rain every time for them. Right? You, they actually got jobs. They got to do something. Because here's the thing. Our big idea. Kids who feel entitled to everything will be grateful for nothing. But you know what? The inverse of this is true. Let's go back. Look at this. The kids who feel entitled to nothing will be grateful for what? Everything. And again, you get this in third world countries. They've got nothing. Nothing. But man, they're so happy. They're so happy. And yet, we come back to the States, and our kids have got it made. They've got everything. And they're never satisfied. Hey, let's take the kids out of the picture. You and I are never satisfied. Remember that first week we looked at those who love money will never be satisfied with it? The thing that you and I want more than anything is contentment. And so many times we can never, ever find it because it doesn't come from a store off of the shelf. Contentment only comes through Jesus Christ. And for some of you today, the game changer in your life, the thing that will really make you thankful is when Jesus comes into your heart and your life and he washes your sins away because of his sacrifice he did on the cross. And you can trust him and say, God, I trust you with my sins. God, I thank you for forgiving me and making me and washing me whiter than snow. I trust it all in you. And for some of you, you need to do that today. So let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, that we can be able to come and talk about all of this stuff that we all struggle with, God. Lord, that so many of us those who have kids, that those who don't have kids, God, we struggle with entitlement. We st struggle with thinking that people owe us and that we deserve this. When in all actuality, we don't. Your word says it's so clear that the only thing that we deserve is to not have a relationship with you. But Lord, you sent your son into this world so that we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Lord, your word says in Romans 3.23 
that all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. And Lord, Romans 6.23 says, Lord, that the result of our sin is always death. That there, what, there's, what seems right to us many times ends in death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. And that happens through Jesus Christ. So God, I pray for all of us in here. Lord, that we would, you would break us from this entitlement mentality. That you would break our kids from that. And Lord, you would break it once and for all. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.